At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in our federal government. Seated by my side, as always, is Eric Eggers, who's an author and vice president of the Government Accountability Institute. Now, Eric, I know you are a man of many, many talents. I'm wondering, are you much of a car guy? I mean, do you actually ever pop the hood and take a look underneath and see what's in there. Well, I don't want to say no, because I feel like that's one of those defining characteristics of like what we consider masculinity. <laughs> right. So I'll answer it this way. Yeah. One time when I was in my early 20s, I attempted to help a girl jumpstart her car and the fire department had to be called. <laughs> it didn't go well. Did not go well. It turns out it's red on red. And then black on black. So that's a free tip for any listeners out there. So that'll tell you basically about my level of utility as it relates to any automotive repair. Well, you may not be a car guy, but I guess you are a quick learner, right? You learn red <laughs> on red. Uh, I'm not much of a car guy either. But what I've learned in the work that we do here at GAI is that when there are problems, sometimes you have to take a look under the hood yourself. Mm. You hear a sound, you hear a noise, you think there's something that doesn't seem quite right that our federal government is doing. And and you need to pop the hood and see what's going on actually with the engine. Elite metaphor alert, everybody. Uh, thank you very much. And, you know, this is what the Wall Street Journal recently did. They've done a series of articles. They lifted the hood and they looked at the stock portfolios, not only of members of Congress, which we have covered, uh, but also federal government employees. And uh, what did they find, per se? Uh, well, let's just say, to keep the analogy going, uh, the car should be taken off the road. There it is, everybody. Because there is a lot of problems. The oil needs to be changed. The air filter needs to be changed. We don't have carburetors anymore, right? So I can't use a and, carburetor. And, and we've now exhausted Peter's knowledge of car parts. <laughs> exactly. Air filter. That big round thing needs to be fixed. <laughs> but the bottom line is their report is devastating. And it looks at something that we have explored for more than a decade. But I think they take it to a new level. They include not just members of Congress, which we have looked at. They look at those sort of faceless bureaucrats that are making really powerful decisions that are affecting companies and industries and the stock trades that they're making. And it's really quite amazing. It is pretty damning that a decade after your book threw them all out, exposed just how pervasive and widespread and egregious, I think in some instances, the insider trading by members of Congress was occurring, that this is still happening. And it's happening not only by certain members of Congress, as we've detailed, but now it, it seems fairly systemic as the Wall Street Journal 
reporting indicates. And I guess, um, I think just to give the listeners a little bit of context, this is one of those instances where you expose insider trading and throw them all out. They actually passed legislation. They did. And the legislation would have put far tighter restrictions and disclosure requirements and things of that nature, not just for members of Congress, but staff. Right. And then what happened? Uh, it basically got gutted overnight. Uh, it was an example of bipartisanship. Yep. It was during the Obama administration. The Republicans controlled the Senate. The Democrats controlled the House. And of course, Barack Obama was in the White House. And they basically gutted the bill uh, with a voice vote, meaning there was so minimal opposition that people didn't even have to go on record. Uh, and so we are at a state today uh, of where we were before the Stock Act was passed, which is this is widespread it's very common. People are making very good money doing it, and nobody is policing this. But the reason why we're still having the problem today is because of that voice vote. And yeah. it was, I mean, just to show you how bipartisan it was, it was covered by The Daily Show. Like, they yeah. made a point of saying, hey, this used to be the policy, and now members of Congress, with nobody having to stand up and say, yo, I'm supportive of this, made it so that, and I think it was mostly done, as we were told, because of members of staff, right? right. Congressional staff were complaining that they had to file disclosures on their stock trades. That's right. And the Republican leader in the House, the guy named Eric Cantor, his wife worked on Wall Street in the private equity industry. He did not want the bill to be as robust as originally envisioned because it would require a lot of disclosures on the part of his wife, but also it would create restrictions on the political intelligence industry. These are uh, entities that collect inside information in Washington, D.C. and sell it to hedge funds. And of course, Eric Cantor was later defeated by David Bratt in a Republican primary uh, and was quickly booted out of office. Bad look for Eric Cantor. Not a good look for America's disclosure for financial requirements either. That's right. But let's talk a little bit about what the Wall Street Journal found. Some really, really interesting stuff. It's widespread. It's not just Nancy Pelosi and her husband's large uh, uh, bets uh, that, that he's taken that have gotten so much attention. In the Pentagon, for example, the Office of the Secretary of Defense. So this does not include, you know, people that are in the branch services. This does not, uh, you know, involve people that are, you know, out somewhere in California, just members of the Office of Secretary of Defense collectively owned between 1.2 and 3.4 million dollars in aerospace and defense company stock in an average year examined by the Wall Street Journal. So in other words, these are people that are helping shape defense policy. They no doubt have access in many cases to inside information. They actually own aerospace and defense stocks. Surprisingly, some of these stocks included Chinese companies that the U.S. government was considering blacklisting. So connect the dots on that, because I think that's the key, right? And I think we'll, we'll have a discussion about, you know, when is a stock trade, not just a stock trade, but when is it actually potentially um, malfeasance or it's taking advantage of your position? So why does it matter if members of the Defense Department are buying stocks and owning stocks and companies that they could consider blacklisting or happen to be Chinese companies? That's a great question. The key question- I mean, I obviously know the answer, <laughs> but for the, for the rubes- <laughs> You sure you're not popping the hood and wondering what's, <laughs> what does that thing over there do? No, but in all seriousness, we worked on this closely together. And yeah, the, the thing that people have to understand when it comes to issues of insider trading is it all comes down to information. Do you have access to information that the larger public is not going to know? So when the Pentagon is deciding 
whether certain defense uh, Chinese de- company stocks are going to be restricted for national security grounds. That's really helpful information to know. And if you work at the Office of Secretary of Defense, even if you're not working in that area, if you know somebody who's working in that area, you can buy, sell stock knowing that they're either going to be banned or they're not going to be banned. That's a huge information advantage. That's a classic example of insider trading on the stock market. You're you're trading with material, non-public information. I also think it's potentially, or maybe you disagree, but I think it's worth considering too, if if you are a member of uh, the Defense Department administration and you happen to own stock in a certain company, right? if you're invested heavily in the financial success of a certain company, and you're now making decisions about yes. whether or not to blacklist them. I mean, I think it, it's not irrational or unreasonable to suspect that sometimes those decisions might be made for reasons other than what's in America's national security interests. Absolutely. You get self-interest. That's why conflict of interest is such a big issue. Yeah. And it's very easy for us to get on our moral high horse and say, well, if I were in that situation, I would never do that. Uh, that's what makes this so seductive and so powerful, right? You have you have the ability to make money based on the power of decisions you're going to make and to pretend that it's never going to enter your mind, it's not going to affect your judgment is absurd. All you have to do is look at the span of human history and see all the sorts of things that people have done out of their own self-interest and then tried to cover it up to know this is a massive, massive problem. Well, we've talked about how big the federal government has gotten, how much money they're now spending on things like weapons and ammunition and you know military equipment. So like the federal government's more powerful conceptually. And yeah, so it, pe- it, people want to sort of trust that their government's making decisions in their best interest. And so when you have, as, as the Wall Street Journal noted, 2,600 federal officials owning stocks and companies that are lobbying this federal agency, yeah. right? Then that, that's an example of potential conflicts of interest potential thumbs on the scale that sway decisions that these governments make about how they regulate certain aspects of American life that impacts people from coast to coast. And it might be being done in part because people are invested in the financial health of some of these companies. Exactly. So, I mean, let's give an example from the Pentagon. This is from the Wall Street Journal as well. Uh, Greg Zacharias, he's the chief scientist for the Department of Defense, director of operation test and evaluation, which sounds like an important position. He bought stock in a defense contractor weeks before the Pentagon announced that it would pay the company $1 billion to deliver more F-35 combat jets. His division was overseeing the testing of those planes, right? So if the testing goes bad, that's going to be delayed. You could potentially even have them canceled or there could be price cuts. Zacharias at that time made five purchases of Lockheed Martin Corporation stock worth $20,700 in August and September of 2021. After the Department of Defense stated its intent to purchase jets from Lockheed, the shares closed up the next trading day. These investments were among more than 50 trades, Zacharias reported, in about a half dozen defense contractors in 2020 and 2021. And so just to kind of put a a human face on this, not to portray her as a a victim in any sense of the word, but that's seems to be a fairly damning fact pattern, again, that the Wall Street Journal has uncovered, right? Like you're buying stocks in companies weeks before your division says, hey, this is, we're about to enter a new contract agreement. We're going to order more product from these guys. And it's not like those things are 50 bucks. I mean, the flight, you know, it's a big deal for them to have a new issue of a fleet right. to have to be created. Um, but in when you talk about insider trading, the first name that comes to my mind, and this makes me sound old, I guess, but, you know, Martha Stewart, Martha yeah. Stewart 20 years ago 
went to prison for five months right. for calling her stockbroker up and saying, hey, sell this stock company or sell this company's stock um, the day before it turned out there was this, it was a medical company that there's, it wasn't going to get FDA approval, right? right? But I mean, people have, have faced actual prison time for this. And so for not that dissimilar of a, of a fact pattern. Right, exactly. And 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 the point is, I think in Martha Stewart's case, she kind of got a tip from a social friend. Yeah. So uh, look, I think that that's not good. It's insider trading. But she goes to jail for five months. Here you have people in very sensitive, important positions right. that are doing massive amount of trades. So uh, Lee Hong McPhail, who's an economist with the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. A lot of people may have not have heard of the CFTC. This is the commission that trades uh, that sorry that regulates the trading of commodities and other financial vehicles. So it's an important position. You have a lot of responsibility. Uh, in in her case, her husband made more than nine thousand five hundred trades. I in love twenty twenty. My, my man is like he is active. Unbelievable! That's thirty eight <laughs> every trading day. About one third of those reported in 2020, 2,994 involved shorting stocks or betting the fall in their price. They range from Amazon to Ford to Zoom video uh, communications, et cetera. Again, I don't know, Lee Hong McPhail, maybe a perfectly, totally upright person. It does not look good to have somebody that is in a regulatory situation that has knowledge, CFTC monitors trading to look for irregularities. So that entity, the, the trading commission knows what kind of traffic is taking place. It is not a good look to not only have a, a member of that department trading stock, but to have their spouse trading uh, 38 on average a day uh, is, is really, really troubling and concerning. It just looks bad. Right. Even if there was no illegal trading of information, it just looks horribly bad. Now, this raises the issue of spousal participation and what their financial requirements should be for them. Obviously, Nancy Pelosi has been on the record about whatever her husband does is in no way a reflection of what right. she's done. But there's been some obviously some very damning fact patterns in terms of the things Paul Pelosi's buying. Sure. And the timing related to when Nancy Pelosi's Congress then makes decisions about that would benefit those industries right. or sometimes harm those industries that Paul Pelosi happens to have shorted the stock of. Exactly. And and look, there's a reason that they're required to disclose their spouse's trades. But one of the stories that was in this Wall Street Journal reporter was this guy who works for the EPA as a regulator for the EPA, and his spouse is, through their stockbroker, owning stock in a petrochemical company, I think, and then I think even natural gas, right. liquefied natural gas. Yeah. And so my thing was, well, that doesn't seem quite as bad just because, hey, it's, you know, it's like a stock portfolio. It's your spouse. It's through a stockbroker. Uh, but you you think it it is a bad look if somebody works for the EPA and their spouse's stock portfolio happens to contain a roster of stocks of companies that the EPA could conceptually regulate. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And and why they allow uh, individuals in the federal government to trade stocks in areas of their regulatory uh, involvement is ridiculous. I mean, here's an example the Wall Street Journal had at the Federal Reserve. Uh, an economist named Min Wei reported <clears throat> trades in stocks of a marijuana company after the Fed sought clarity about whether banks could serve cannabis businesses. Remember, uh, at the federal level, marijuana is illegal, so it's very difficult for banks to actually uh, hold money for marijuana companies. The Federal Reserve was looking into how this might happen, 
In early September 2018, Ms. Y's husband bought between $480,000 and $1.1 million of Tilray shares, according to her disclosure form at the Fed. Ms. Y's husband sold his Tilray shares in five sales in early October. So this is from September to October. His shares nearly doubled to between 800,000 and 1.75 million. Now, again, do we know that Min Wei had access to that information, share that information with her husband? No, but it's a bad look. And if this was Morgan Stanley or General Motors and somebody had made some really well-defined trade stocks from an employee that worked at those companies, it would raise suspicions. And we don't need to have these kinds of suspicions about our federal government. We should trust it. We should believe it. And we should set up guidelines that prevent this kind of activity from taking place. Well, there is some good news I think you're overlooking. And that is, it it just underscores the age old adage that behind every strong and powerful woman is a husband with incredibly (laughs) well-timed stock trades. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, the last two examples you've used, why is it always these deadbeat husbands (laughs) sitting around? Hey, how was today? How was work, honey? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine imagine that conversation, Nancy, when he comes home? I'm doing all the heavy work in this family. He's like, tell me more about that meeting again. (laughs) No, but but you're right. It does. It it can be pretty bad. Look, and it's these innocuous things. You don't think that scandals can happen in places like the, the Federal Reserve, economists for the Federal Reserve, or economists at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. How about this one? There's a lawyer who runs the National Labor Relations Board. Okay. Right? So it's her, their job to kind of negotiate, uh, obviously, labor relations. Mm-hmm. And so she uh, were pursuing, she was pursuing complaints against Tesla and Elon Musk, I guess, because right. there's complaints about the way their employees are being treated. And at the time, she owned somewhere, not a ton, right, between $1,000 and $15,000 in stock in 2019 when these cases were ongoing. So she's helping to oversee whether or not they have these problems. The next year, her disclosure form shows she owned Tesla shares valued at between 30000 and $100,000. Uh, so, I mean, she see potentially a massive amount of growth in that. So, but that, to your point, can you be a fair arbiter of how, mu- how big of a deal should we make about these allegations of potential employee abuse if you yourself, who is doing the investigating, is invest in the company. Right, right. Or Reed Werner, uh, who was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Southeast Asia during the Trump administration. Uh, in December of 2020, he reported the purchase of between $15,000 and $50,000 worth of stock in Alibaba. That's the e-commerce website in China. Nearly two weeks after the Alibaba purchase, the Treasury updated its list and didn't include Alibaba on those restricted companies. The company stock rose 4% on that day. Three days later, Mr. Werner's financial disclosure form shows a sale, uh, and he result, it resulted in the $1,500 gain. But between 2018 and 2020, Mr. Wilmer reported at least six trades, which he said told around $10,000 in Chinese companies Alibaba, Baidu, and China Petroleum and Chemical Corporation. Here's my question. Why is a guy, Reed Warner, who is the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense mm-hmm. for Southeast Asia, for Southeast Asia, his specific area of responsibility, the focus of the Trump administration is what? Countering the Chinese threat. Why is he trading stock in Chinese companies like China Petroleum, which is linked to the CCP, Alibaba, close ties to the CCP? Why is he even trading that stock? It's it's ridiculous. I was going to ask if it matters if it was him doing the stock trades or if it was his broker. Because, you know, uh, 
sometimes stockbrokers make trades without the knowledge of their clients. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know everything that my uh, stockbroker does, but I guess the point is, is that that's so specific and like literally targeted geographically right. and from a relevance to what you do professionally standpoint, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. My sense is that these guys are probably going to blame their broker. Like it's a heck of a coincidence if the broker just happens to be buying Chinese chi- stocks, Chinese stocks while right. the guy's in charge right. of the right. Chinese area. And right? look, it'd be very easy if you want to avoid the appearance of impropriety, which is the standard at the federal government, right? It's not just about engaging in propriety. It's about avoiding the appearance of it. You could just say to your broker, hey, look, I'm taking this job at the Pentagon. Just don't buy any Southeast Asia stocks, including (laughs) China, and don't buy any defense company stocks because I'm at the Department of Defense. There's still a huge universe of stocks if you're going to blame it on your broker that your broker could trade with. Of course, Mr. Warner didn't say that. A lot of these government officials are going to blame their broker never said that. And that's the bottom line. We cannot count on these people to police themselves. The idea that you can work for the federal government for an agency that regulates banks or regulates or is responsible for purchases of you know defense company uh, uh, you know products that those should be people should be able to trade in those areas is absurd. And that's why I have always supported banning the say the the purchase and the trading of individual shares of stock by federal government employees they can buy mutual funds they can buy exchange traded funds that you know follow a large index or a large sector that at least moves you away from these kind of specific trades that look so bad well and to your point i think there needs to be some universal standard because right now you know the car is off the road the car has been taken off the road because the problems under the hood are so pervasive among I like the- how you did that well, it's, it's your metaphor, you know, <laughs> I'm just uh, backseat driving. I, I don't know. But uh, the Wall Street Journal found that more than 200 senior officials at the EPA or get this, like that's one in three yeah. reported that their family members have investments in companies that were lobbying the agency. Unbelievable. So just for some context, uh, in Florida, where we live, they have passed something called the gift ban. And what it means is that there are prohibitions against lobbyists being able to give gifts to members of the Florida legislature. Mm -hmm. And it's conceptually interpreted at such a degree to which when I did a radio show, we'd have a member of the Florida legislature on, that member of the Florida legislature couldn't by the definition of the law accept a cup of coffee from our green room because (laughs) Clear Channel or iHeartMedia that I worked for employed a lobbyist that would on occasion lobby. So like if you wanted to get technical about it, that would have been a prohibition. So that's an example of the other way. Right. I mean, that's, that's a far cry from yeah, hey, you're you're lobbying uh, us. Well, I happen to be heavily invested in the success of your company. Yeah. So I'm not only the government bureaucrat regulating your industry, I'm a shareholder in your company. Right. One in three members of the EPA own stock. They and their families collectively own up to $2 million in shares of yeah. oil and gas companies between 2016 and 2021. Yeah. And which, again, you think, hey, EPA, we make regulations as it relates to oil and gas companies, not a good look. Right. And it's not a good look because remember, Congress, when they pass regulations about the environment or about climate change or whatever, they're creating very broad parameters. The regulations are actually written by EPA employees. So there's wiggle room and how those rules and regulations are written are very, very important. So if you've got government employees that own stock in companies, whether it's a renewable energy company or an oil and gas company, and they're actually writing the regulations, of course, they're going to be influenced by their own financial stake and their own interests. And some of them are going to trade stock based on how they're writing these laws. It's a terrible thing. 
the reason, one of the reasons I think we have such distrust of our government and such cynicism about our government, that distrust and cynicism in my mind is well-deserved precisely because of this kind of activity. The good news is that the Wall Street Journal was able to obtain the records of members of the federal government or employees of the federal government to be able to perform this analysis. The bad news is that they couldn't get everybody's records. They said many agencies made it incredibly difficult. They'd asked multiple times. The Department of Homeland Security, you talk about like an, a federal agency with lots of power, right. refused to disclose what its employees were invested in. Yeah. and Well, and here's the other crazy part. So we live in this era of... You can access so much data and information online, right? right? So government employees are required to fill out these personal financial disclosure forms. Most of them fill it out by hand. You can get, you can order a PDF copy of it from the Office of Government Ethics. That's OGE.gov, but they're not searchable. The federal government has not made these documents searchable. The only way they're searchable is if an outside body like the Wall Street Journal or like other organizations make them searchable. And that is by design. And it requires a lot of effort. Like, so we'll go in, we have to download each form and make a spreadsheet on our own. You think you could just be able to search, right? site search the website, for example. Yeah. And it's not a technology problem. Members of Congress have actually introduced bills with this simple requirement that they create searchable personal financial disclosures. It never even gets voted on in the House of Representatives because Nancy Pelosi does not want them searchable. They don't want this basic information easily accessible by you. And that's, I think, indicative to me of the fact that they're trying to cover up what they're doing. When lots of other things are very easily accessible in Florida, again, you can find the payroll information of any university, any state government official. So there's examples of states that do disclosure and transparency well. And then there's Congress. Right. That's exactly right. (laughs) Well, we hope you've enjoyed this oil change. Nice. (laughs) We always have a great time uh, talking about these issues. We think they're important. We know they're important. These are the guts. These are the sort of central nervous system of corruption as exists in our government. So when people are discussing policy and why things are being voted on or voted against in terms of policy, that's part of it. But we're looking below the surface. There are powerful financial reasons that our government officials vote for and against things. And we hope that this has offered you some insight. Please look at our other podcasts. You can find them on thedrilldown.com or at other places such as Spotify where our fine podcasts can be found. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it.